Welcome to African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. I'm your host, Marie Strotter. Please go to brightnews.com or anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S to follow, like, subscribe to our podcast. This week, we have international film and television star Nick Searcy with us. And so that made me think a little bit about Hollywood and movies and television and what we are representing for our children and for our society at large, the values that we show on screen. Um, there's such a cognitive dissonance now uh, between what Hollywood is making and what we as consumers are watching. You know, it's interesting when I was a much younger mother and my oldest probably was about three or four. We were at the grocery store. And as you know, I homeschooled my kids. So one of the things that I did as a pre-reading skill is I would make our grocery list and I would make visual representations of what it was that I needed along with whatever it was. So he would learn to put the picture with the word. Um, and there was a company that I boycotted because of their um, because of their lack of ethics, I, I believe. Um, and so we were walking down the aisle and my son happened to see it was the ice cream aisle and he happened to see a product with their name. And he said rather loudly, stinking Nestle. And so I was really proud of him, by the way, because, you know. I inculcated my values to him. Uh, but that's what we do as Americans. We teach our values to our children. And we also, as capitalists, are funny about our dollars. Um, there is a store that I have boycotted for a number of years, Target, because of uh, the bathroom kerfuffle a few years ago. Um, and so I'm very intentional, or at least I try to be as intentional as I can about the dollars that I spend. And so I think that as we see woke Hollywood and all of these offerings, we can withhold our money um, and let them know this is what I appreciate. This is not something that I appreciate. And we have to be very calculated about that. And I think that we don't stick to our guns. I think that we're very, oh, well, you know, nah, 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 and we go ahead and see it anyway. Um, and I, I do think that we need to be exposed to differing perspectives, different points of view. I don't think we can stay in our echo chamber. But at the same time, I'm not going to plunk out my hard-earned money uh, to watch a bunch of woke garbage. And so I think that if I could appeal to you uh, as folks that that uh, let me into your home or your car or uh, wherever you listen to the ACOGS podcast, uh, I would encourage you to be a little more intentional about the spending of your dollars um, and support movies and filmmakers who make movies that embody your values, that embody what you believe believe in and let Hollywood know that they can scramble after those dollars if they want to make something uh, that represents you and that represents your values. So without further ado, let's get into this week's interview. He is best known for playing Chief Deputy United States Marshal Art Mullen on the classic television series Justified. He's had a prominent role in other projects like The Shape of Water, 
fried green tomatoes, and Gosnell, The Trial of America's Biggest Serial Killer, which he also directed. He is international film and television star and Peabody Award winner, Nick Searcy. But you already knew that. We're thrilled to have him back on the show. Welcome back, Nick. Thanks, Marie, and thank you for that introduction. You got it exactly right. When not tweeting uh, about leaving Twitter as soon as they sell their Teslas, people in Hollywood seem to be releasing a surfeit of woke movies that uh, get great acclaim uh, but bomb at the box office. A newly released film for Disney, for example, is on course to lose $150 million um, at the box office. Has Hollywood made a conscious decision to go woke and broke, or is it just bending to outside pressures? Well, I think a friend of mine said it best. I mean, Hollywood, the left agenda in Hollywood, they are willing to lose $100 million to advance their cause. They're, they're literally putting their money where their mouth is. And so they... The, the way that Hollywood works, too, is that now that we're not so dependent on the box office anymore, there's so many streaming services that you pay a monthly subscription for, a movie that bombs is not as important as it used to be because there's more ways to make, more ways to skin the cat, you know. So there, and the way they also, the way they get more jobs in Hollywood is by proving how woke they are and how down with the struggle they are even more so than the results so uh many times i think that's why you see so many movies like this that uh are advancing a political agenda but they aren't very good and and they aren't very compelling and people can see the the politics coming a mile away and so they don't plunk down the money and they don't go see it one of the beauties of your Twitter account and uh, just you in general, uh, there are some others that I can think of. Kevin Sorbo, uh, Dean Cain, uh, Gina Carano, your your co-star. There are a number of people um, that have a different perspective in Hollywood, and yet they are not included. They are not embraced. This whole uh, diversity, inclusion equity thing um, has not provided them a voice. How important are alternative platforms like the Daily Wire to the future of cinema, especially for independents and filmmakers with conservative voices like yours and the folks I mentioned? Well, the, the Daily Wire is very important, but it can't do it all on its own. I mean, we need more and more platforms like this. Um, Hollywood is ripe for the picking in terms of uh, a competitive industry that does not share their values. And so I think more and more uh, think places like the Daily Wire are going to spring up, hopefully, because as it stands right now, there aren't enough of these platforms in order to be a viable alternative to make it a full-time career making, uh, making movies outside the Hollywood mainstream. And so that's, you know, I'm very fortunate in that I've been able to come up in the Hollywood mainstream and make a decent living there. And now I'm at the point in my life where, uh, you know, it's not as important to me as as it is for me to express myself and and and, and create projects that 
have my values in them and not necessarily Hollywood's values. And that that has to continue to be developed. And hopefully there'll be more and more places like the Daily Wire that can create this kind of content. What's surprising to me is it seems that Hollywood is interested in making money. Uh, I know, a capitalistic uh, value. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems like there are certain movies that as you see them making money, you would emulate them um, rather than go woke and broke. But that doesn't seem to be the, no one's connected those dots, it seems like in Hollywood. Well, a few people have. I mean, I, I think when a movie like Top Gun comes out and does so well, yeah. yes, there's going to be a few people who will say, let's make a movie like that. Yeah. You know, but for the most part, you know, Hollywood is run by and large anymore by uh, the younger generation, Generation Z. And Generation Z does not feel the same way about capitalism as we do. They have been conditioned over and over again in their education that capitalism is, is, you know, at least just as bad as socialism, if not worse, if not more unfair. So they don't, they don't see the profit as the end all be all like we do. They don't see the good in that. They, they, uh, they would rather uh, advance their agenda than make money. Speaking of Gen Z and millennials, uh, you and I bonded over our adoptive parent status. I have two. You have one that you've adopted. How is Mr. Omar doing? He's pretty amazing. I, I, I follow the videos that you do. How's he doing in school? And is he suffering from some of this wokeism at, at school? You know, he's uh, he's working at uh, Warner Brothers these days. He's working on a TV show there and, and he wants to be in the crew department. Uh, he wants to uh, work on films. Um, and so he's doing fine. He's working his way up within that. And the funny thing about Hollywood is when you get into the crew area, they're not so woke. Uh, uh -huh. <laughs> the, the technical side of things in Hollywood is, uh, is let's just say, uh, a bit more conservative than the uh, acting side. So Interesting. Right now, we're going to take a peek at the trailer for Terror on the Prairie. Let's look. God will forgive you, but I hate God. Are we going to make it out here? I know it's been hard. This is our dream, Hetty. Build a home on land we can call our own. Just got to have a little grit. Heading to town, grabbing supplies. Look after your mom, God, won't you? A mighty fine morning to you, ma'am. And to you. Is your husband at home? Get behind the stove with your sister. 
They came looking for your pa. That's why they're out there taking their time. Just take where you want and go! But what we want is you! Your father's walking into a trap. It's our turn to protect him. She is a sensible woman. Mrs. McAllister ain't cut out for this. Deep down, you're the toughest woman in this territory. Those killers outside are gonna feel God's wrath. Kill them all! the Prairie has been touted as an antidote to woke Hollywood. Even the casting, you and your co-star Gina Carano, um, will be offensive to progressives who wanted you two canceled a long time ago. How did you become involved in this project? Well, uh, D Dallas Sonia, the, the producer, uh, called me up and, you know, he, he knew that I had just done a movie in the same town in Montana that they were getting ready to shoot. And he, uh, he approached me and said, would you like to play this character? <laughs> and uh, when he sent the, sent the script over, I was shocked. I mean, it was a really, really terrific role. And uh, it, it was the kind of role that I probably would not get the chance to do in mainstream Hollywood. Um, really, really nice the uh, sizable villain, the villain of the piece. <laughs> and uh, it, it was, it was a great honor. It really was. And uh, I was, I was really touched and proud that the daily wire came to me uh, because it was such a pivotal role and such a pivotal film for them, you know, to, yeah. to come out with the uh, Gina Carano's first film after yeah. the being canceled at. And it was, it was a great responsibility. And I, I think, uh, I think the movie came out very well. Hattie, Gina Crano's character in Terror on the Prairie, warns her son that the distinction between good and bad is not a simple one. Captain Miller, your character, uh, embodies this as he is both a classic Western-driven hero, uh, classic Western hero, driven by his love of God, family, and country, yet is also a man capable of great cruelty and depravity. Is it unusual, an unusual challenge, playing such a morally ambiguous character? You know, it is a challenge, but it it was a, it, it was a lot of fun. I mean, playing the villain is is very much fun because <laughs> I played a lot of bad guys. I mean, the joke is I played a lot of Democrats, but. <laughs> You know, the villain thinks that he's doing the right thing right. and he never thinks that he's doing bad stuff. He thinks he's totally justified in what he does. And that's that's what's fun about playing the villains. You can do these really, really horrible things and you're not really doing them so that you're not paying the price. But you get to sort of feel what that's like, that sort of power, you know. And uh, the thing about uh, the Andrew Clavin, I think, put it best. He said, you know, the character in Terror on the Prairie that I played was the kind of person that seemed like he was a good man at some point in his life. And and a, a terrible thing happened to him. His daughter was tragically killed and it and, and it turned him. And, you know, I, I tried to make the character uh, 
at least understandable on that way in that way that you could see why he was doing what he was doing even if you thought it was terrible and and at least you he had some justification that i i wanted to make sure the audience understood what his justification was that's good um, now, it's surprising that you've done so few Westerns, given that you seem to be a natural on a horse and in a cowboy hat. Why aren't there more such films on your resume? And why, after so many years, have you suddenly done two in a row? <laughs> well, I, I don't really know. I mean, there's no accounting for taste. Every time <laughs> I see a movie and I see somebody my age in and I I go, why, why didn't these idiots cast me? I would have been a lot better than that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, it, it is strange that I haven't done very many Westerns. I had a little part in Return to Lonesome Dove a long time ago, but I don't even think I got on a horse. I was a, I played a character, but I wasn't a cowboy. But, yeah, it was it was very interesting, you know. Two two westerns back to back after never having really done one. Now, your upcoming western, The Old Way, stars Nicolas Cage as Colton Biggs, Ryan Kira Armstrong as his daughter, and you as Marshall Jarrett. We're going to take a peek at The Old Way right now. I want you to understand how good a woman your mama was. She took Colton Briggs, the coldest killer that I've ever met, and she turned him into a family man. My mama's dead now. <laughs> Coming in one way or another. Tell me the names of the men who did this. As long as that little girl is alive, there's no room for vengeance. You're protecting a killer from another killer. Can you teach me how to shoot? Both of you put your hands behind your back. Now, Briggs? Fetch that, Rossi. My father wants you, gun. I'll blow her brains all over this valley. You ain't scared of nothing. If Briggs decides he's coming, Colton Briggs is coming. He's here! Sound like he's the one who's scared. <laughs> My whole life, I'd seen fear in the eyes of every man I ever met. Please don't go. Let's do this the old way. Is my father still a good man? You boys woke up the devil. When can we look forward to seeing this movie? It uh, it premieres January 6th, which is, uh, you know. That's an interesting date in history, I hear. I, I, the joke is, yeah, I've, I've sort of it's in my contract that any movie I appear in from now on has to premiere on January 6th. <laughs> um, but yeah, it comes out January 6th in theaters, which I'm I'm really happy about and uh, hopefully it'll have a good run. It's a it's a terrific film. It's Nicolas Cage's first western too. So uh, Oh wow. That's funny. 
Yeah. Both he and I are our first Western at the same time. <laughs> he's not as natural on a horse or in a cowboy hat as you are, though, of course. <laughs> well, he looks pretty good. He looks pretty good. He's all right. He's all right, but he's not Nick Searcy. I had a great time with him. I really enjoyed working with Nicholas. He was uh, very well prepared and, you know, just a joy to work with every day. So, Given the heat generated by Gosnell, it makes sense that you would take on a tame, non-controversial subject such as the January 6th incident. Uh, could you take us through how capital punishment came to be? Well, um, at the time, um, I had not been planning to go, you know, on January 6th, everybody was talking about, you know, it's going to be a yeah. big protest event and, you know, and, and I was not planning to go, but my friend, Chris, who I'd made the documentary with the year before called God shed his grace on thee now available at Amazon. Um, Chris kind of talked me into it. He said, you're, you're heading back East anyway. Why don't we just go and see what happens? You know, and I, so we, I stopped by there on my way to visit my family in North Carolina. Uh, flew in on January 5th, was there for January 6th, and then flew home the morning of the 7th. And I didn't see anything like what happened, what they were showing me on television. I mean, I was there and I saw a bunch of happy people, you know, who were singing hymns and, and, and being patriotic. I didn't see any of the violence. I didn't know any of this even happened until I got home that night. So the more as the story began to unfold and the media continued to sort of mischaracterize that day and actually lie about what really happened. I had shot some footage on my iPhone. My friend Chris had shot some footage on his camera, not with the intent of making a film, but just because we were there like tourists. And so as it as as it began to unfold the way it did, um, we started to feel the call to uh, let's make a movie about this and find out what's really happening to people. And so that's how Capital Punishment came about. You know, it's really interesting as we've been talking about Twitter, um, you know, now with Elon Musk's purchase and his restoration of President Trump's account, the two tweets that are right off the top talk about January the 6th and an appeal to people to be calm and uh, I find it interesting that those tweets are at the very top of his Twitter feed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I had friends also who went. I mean, I, I was invited to go, but I didn't go. Um, and, and what you say is really important because I served on Black Voices for Trump and I was at a number of events with the president um, with Media Row in the back and I would watch the events unfold, you know, in front of my eyes. And then I would go back to the hotel room at night and watch the media coverage of it. And I was like, what, what event were they at? That, that's not the event that I was at. How they distorted and mm -hmm. lied about everything that went on. Now, I'm not going to give, well, I do talk about my age. I'm 58. Um, you're, you're around the same age that I am. Um, and so you remember the nightly news with Walter Cronkite and all of these other broadcasters. You didn't know, just like I didn't know what my teacher's sexuality was. Now, of course, you know, they tell you your pronouns, their pronouns on the first day. I didn't know if my teachers were married, not married, whatever. It's the same with our newscasters. I didn't know if they were Democrat or Republican or any of that. They just spouted facts and that was it. Mm -hmm. And it's a completely different era now. No, they're advancing a narrative, and uh, th that day was a setup. 
uh, I'm convinced from, from all the research that we did and all the people that we talked to. And the media was in on the setup from the beginning. I mean, they have been spinning this from the from before it even happened. And the fact that they took Trump off after he had basically said, we want this to remain peaceful, that shows you that they're they're trying to advance this narrative, that Trump was inciting everybody there and overthrowing democracy and all this nonsense. You know, if the January 6th committee and Liz Cheney, if they really wanted to get to the bottom of this, they would be interviewing people like Ray Epps. They would be interviewing people that were FBI operatives that were there dressed as Trump supporters. They would be interviewing Antifa people that were there dressed as Trump supporters, disguising themselves. A guy named John Sullivan was in the room when Ashley Babbitt was murdered. And he's a known black BLM activist, and he was dressed as a Trump supporter. Now, if they really wanted to get to the truth, they would interview these people and they would make it public. But they don't want to get to the truth. They're advancing a narrative, and the narrative is that everybody who supported Trump is some sort of radical domestic terrorist that needs to be thrown in jail. And that's really, that's, that's the point of it. They are trying to criminalize opposing the Democrat Party. Which I find interesting because if you know about when it happened, the summer prior to that, we saw the antics of Antifa and we saw the antics of BLM and we saw the result of Maxine Waters encouraging people to go after them. We saw Heidi and Ted Cruz at restaurants being accosted. And we saw uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders in a restaurant not able to sit down with her family and actually asked to leave. Um, But these are not stories that are um, told. It is, you guys are inciting riots. You people are bad, orange man bad. And people that take over whole swaths of the city, like the chop, chaz, whatever zone, um, you know, these are the good guys because violence is okay if it's to further the woke agenda. That's right. Yeah, that's exactly right. They are projecting, they are telling you exactly who they are by what they're saying about us. You know, they are projecting onto us who they really are. They want to intimidate. They want to bully. They want to make you afraid to open your mouths. And it's, you know, it's the same thing that I go through in Hollywood. I think, you know, they want to make it like, well, you'll never work again if you're not one of us. Well, okay. I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I, I feel for the people that are coming up that that have to go through that, but I'm not going to, they're not going to shut me up. I'm not going to, I'm not going to change what I believe or what I think or what I express, you know, what I say because of some fear that they're, they're not going to allow me to participate in their entertainment. Play in any of their reindeer games. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah. Now, uh, you've mentioned that your own agent refused to see capital punishment. Is that the typical reaction uh, the documentary has received among your peers in entertainment? Yes. It was the same with Gosnell. Um, you know, when I when I directed Gosnell, most of the people that, you know, I know that are Hollywood liberals that I've worked with for 30 years and known my whole career, I've gotten along with them, you know, that they they wouldn't they wouldn't give it the time of day. They wouldn't watch it. And that's because the left cannot face opposition. They really can't win that argument. 
So what they have to do is pretend your argument doesn't exist or pretend your argument is disqualified because it's racist or it's a white supremacist argument or, or whatever they say about it. And when my agent said that to me, that he wasn't going to watch it, that it was all just propaganda. And I said, well, what do you think you've been getting watching the news? You're getting one side of it. And here I am presenting the other side of it. And you can't even bring yourself to watch it. I said, I've watched Michael Moore movies. It didn't destroy my brain. I thought it was stupid, but I didn't, <laughs> it didn't, you know, hurt me. How could it hurt you to watch it? And, but that's how they think. They, they cannot bear the possibility of having something that might change their mind. So they just ignore it. They pretend it doesn't exist. And that's interesting that you say that because we watch a variety of movies, right, on the right. Yeah. Um, but the left doesn't want to watch anything that's going to destroy their narrative or their little echo chamber. And it's interesting because, you know, they're the first ones to talk about people who are marginalized. And yeah. yet they marginalize us day after day after day after day. And that's the thing about, you know, my experience in Hollywood. People are t always asking me, how did you get along with Patton Oswalt? How did you get along with? Michael Rappaport, whatever, you know, we got along fine. Yeah. We were there working on a TV show. I wasn't there to fight with them about politics, but see, I can get along with them. They can't get along with me. You know, they can't, I can take them for what they are and it doesn't hurt me that they're wrong. <laughs> but, but apparently the fact that I believe what I believe hurts them. And so they can't bear to be around it, you know, and it, it's, it's a very interesting, uh, I think it's a telling characteristic of the left that they cannot tolerate, literally tolerate, uh, an opposing viewpoint. And they're the tolerant ones. I know. And usually we're the grown-ups in the room. So, gotcha. Now, um, you said in the documentary, quote, on January 6th, 2021, I went to Washington, D.C., along with multitudes of other Americans because we believed the election was stolen. Why did you believe that then? And do you still believe that now? Yeah, I absolutely do. I mean, I think they stole it again in Arizona with uh, Carrie Lake just yeah. now. I mean, it's yeah. just to me, it's obvious when you are in a state that cannot count the votes in one day that goes on and on for weeks after they are just trying to find the votes they need yes. in order to stay in power. That that's not rocket science. I mean, that is it. How is it possible that, you know, in a state like Tennessee, they count the votes one night, you know, by nine o'clock on election day, who won? Yes. And yet in Arizona, it's still going on. And so, yes, I absolutely do. When you pause counting in the middle of the night, uh, like they did on election night and yeah. when Trump was ahead and you just stop counting and they go, oh, well, we found 150,000 votes and 140 of them, 140,000 of them were for Biden. It's like, no, that's not statistically possible. Yeah. And it's 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 wrong. And yeah, I still believe it. I know many, many people who do believe that. But what the whole January 6th uh, suppression the punishment that the government is giving out is to make people afraid to say that they believe that. And you can see it going on in Brazil right now. It's the same thing happened to Bolsonaro as happened to Trump. 
and the people are rising up in Brazil. Until we correct that, it's going to continue. I mean, I was saying before this this past election, why would they stop now? They got away with it in 2020. They got away with it again in Arizona in 2022 and probably in some other places. Until we correct that, this whole mail-in ballot, the way counting going on for weeks after the election, yes. until that's corrected, uh, I don't know how we're ever going to be able to trust our electoral system again. You know, I find it interesting. The point that I, I make often is that, you know, we have these uh, telescopes that can see so clearly in space, and yet we have these horrible grainy surveillance photos at ATMs, right? Right. Uh, and so it seems that in 2022, with all of the technology available to us, you're right. When I was a kid, we stayed up and you knew who the winner was when you went to bed. But now it's days and weeks later with all of the technology that we have available. Right. Know. Which to me, that's just obvious on its face. That is nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense unless you accept the fact that they're trying to find the votes they need. And when is when's the last time you've had a, an election go on for two weeks and the Republican won? I mean, <laughs> it's very, very rare. It's very rare. Now, following most riots, we usually see some attempt to address the riots cause after Antifa and BLM, as we've talked about. Um, we, uh, we were asked to address social inequalities, systemic racism, and police brutality. Yet after the J6 events, uh, we didn't see any of the addressing of the protesters' concerns about voting integrity. Yeah. Instead, we continue to have voting uh, begin weeks before Election Day, as we've alluded to, counting, continuing weeks after Election Day, bags of harvested ballots, uh, voting without voter ID, voting machines strangely running out of toner, uh, and so forth. Should we trust the 2022 election any more than we trusted the 2020 election? If that, do you think we will see similar post-election protests in the future? Well, I think that it, it's an interesting question because I think that the whole January 6th reaction from the government is meant to stop people from ever protesting a vote ever again. Yeah. It is meant to suppress that and to scare people into going, if you do this, we're going to do what we did to these people. You know, in my movie, Capital Punishment, you see the government breaking down people's doors at 6 a.m. in the morning, dragging their entire families out in the street, handcuffing their 13-year-old daughters. And these are people who never went inside the building. So their only crime is that they went there to protest because they did not believe the election was legitimate. So by the government coming down on this, they are trying to deter anyone from ever opposing them again so that they can steal an election and get away with it. And if you protest it, you're some sort of domestic terrorist, criminal, white supremacist, racist, whatever they want to characterize you as, so that you'll never do that again. Or at least a number of people would look at that situation and go, I don't want to risk that. And that's the whole point. That is why they have demonized the people of January 6th so so much is is because they want to continue to do this to our elections. And I always use the analogy, it's like if you're a 17-year-old kid and you go into a 7-Eleven and you want to buy some beer, 
and the guy says, I need you to show me your ID to prove that you're 18. The, the teenager can't say, prove that I'm not. Right. You know, and that's what the, that's the, how the electoral process is so backwards. We're, they're, they're looking at us and daring us to prove that they cheated. When the fact is they should have to prove that they didn't. You know, they should have to prove that every vote was was legitimate, that every vote had a, a trail behind it. And they have so many unverified votes with these mail-in ballots. It, it, it's just, the, the, it's all backwards. They should have to prove that those votes are legitimate. And they have muddied the system so much that proving that is impossible. They want to make it impossible for you to verify a vote. And again, the technology exists to be able to do it. Yeah. Um, and, and what angers me, I think, most of all, is this whole uh, racial component where they've said that, you know, it's a suppressing of the black vote not to have ID. I'm sorry, I fly airplanes pretty frequently. I see a lot of black people on the airplane. Tell me, have you ever ridden an airplane where you did not show your ID? Right. I mean, right. that's impossible to get on an airplane without an ID, unless you're undocumented. I'm sorry. There, there is a group of people. If you're undocumented, then you can just come right on in and we'll pay for it. Um, but I digress. Uh, so, yeah, it, it, just that whole piece of it. And um, as you said, there are um, so many inequities uh, in that situation where, yes, we should be able to have uh, confidence in right. the voting system, and we do not. And that is so foundational to who we are as a people, to be able to vote for our own representation. Yeah. And feeling that that, that is uh, something that is constantly questioned and that there is, and that should be the the fundamental uh, principle that, that it's a bedrock. Yeah, and they don't want that. They, 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 you know, the left always does this in every country that they take control of. They take control of the voting system and then they dare you to oppose them. That's that's basically what what's happening here has happened all over the world in every in every country where the socialist left has taken it over. Now, you just alluded to um, what I think is probably one of the most chilling parts of, of capital punishment. Let's check out the trailer here. My wife said she heard them before uh, before I heard them. I'm a very heavy sleeper. But what woke me up was a concussion grenade. Those things are, are really loud. Once I get into the area where the, the living room and the kitchen opens up, um, another flashbang went off on the side of my house and I could see the silhouettes of about 10, at least 10 on the side of my house. You could just see all the tactical gear and everything. When I got to the door, they called me by my by Tony. Tony, it's the FBI. Open up the door. And I opened up the blinds. And I was like, oh. And my dog was right next to me, and he was going crazy. And I said, let me secure my dog. Hold on. I said, if you don't open the door, we're going to break in the front door. And I'm thinking, OK, if they take me away, I don't want to leave this big hole in front of my house for my family. Right. At that point, the back um, sliding glass door breaks. They come in through that. And so I'm like, OK. They mean business, and I wasn't able to grab my dog, and I opened up the front door, and he went running out. And I said, don't shoot my dog. Don't shoot my dog. He's a good dog. How long did it take your dog to come back? A week. So you, you got woken up in the midst of all this, too? I was confused. 
and my hearing was starting to come back and there was, it sounded like war. Yeah. Like it was crazy. There was flashes and the loudest bangs on the door, it was like almost shaking the house. My dad was at the door and he was about to open it. And I went to grab my dog. Before I could grab my dog, um, they handcuffed me. They handcuffed you? Yes. Two other prominent figures in capital punishment are Derek Kennison and Tony Martinez, who've been indicted for their role in the J6 incident and for being associated with the Oath Keepers, a far-right government organization whose members have pleaded guilty to seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack, end quote. We just saw an excerpt from the movie uh, featuring Tony Martinez and his family. Did they strike you as seditious or patriotic protesters? Well, they were patriotic. They were there with first aid gear. They had no weapons. They weren't carrying anything that could they could do violence with. And all they did was sort of uh, help patch up people who had been uh, bloodied by, uh, in one case, uh, a flashbang grenade. And in another case, they, they helped people who'd been pepper sprayed by the police. And, you know, when you talk about the Oath Keepers and all that, it's just come out recently that the, the second in command or whatever of the Oath Keepers was actually an FBI informant. And so many of the time, so much of the time, you see like what happened in the Governor Whitmer kidnapping case, where the I think uh, almost a majority of the people in that group were FBI people egging it on. So you have these situations where the FBI is pushing people toward a result that they want. And in this case, what they wanted was to characterize that day as violent and everybody who went there as a terrorist who's trying to overthrow democracy. And in fact, the people that went there are the people, in most cases, the people who care most about the Constitution, yes. who care most about this country being run the way it was constituted to be run. And they are trying to characterize these people, these patriotic people who love this country as founded, as uh, dangerous terrorists who are trying to overthrow democracy. And in fact, it's the exact opposite. They are the ones trying to, to undercut democracy so that you cannot remove them from office. The scariest part to me is just the weaponization of our government now, Nick. I mean, when you see what you just alluded to, um, and when we hear that parents are labeled as domestic terrorists for going to a school board meeting because they don't want their children exposed to pornography. Yeah. Um, I mean, it started with Barack Obama and, you know, the whole IRS Tea Party thing. We are really seeing the weaponization of our government. And as you mentioned, here are people that are being labeled as domestic terrorists, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet we see all of these other like the, the shooter recently at the uh, club uh, in Colorado who was non-binary, that story went away. Um, the guy that hammered, uh, that took a hammer to Paul Pelosi, that story has gone away. So the narrative, if the media doesn't like what they may actually, if they stumble across a fact, they may not report it because it doesn't follow their narrative. And that's scary to me. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's what that's what they do, and that's why Capital Punishment, the movie, has been so ignored, not only by my agent, but by uh, my former agent, but by uh, you know almost every part of the mainstream media. They don't want to confront the facts of what actually happened on on January sixth. They don't want to ask those questions. They don't want to be seen as siding with the seditious domestic terrorists that went there on that day. So, so they just ignore it and they, they don't, they suppress it. Actually, they don't just ignore it. They, they want to make sure that it can't break through and that people can't, can't see it or confront those, uh, the truths in it. And what capital punishment my movie shows is exactly how the department of justice and the FBI is being used as a tool of the Biden administration to punish people who oppose them. That's really the only point. This isn't about justice to them. It is about punishing and suppressing opposition. If you're just joining us, our guest this segment has been international film and television star Nick Searcy, who happens to be one of our favorite guests. Nick, how can people continue to follow you online and follow your work? Well, if you go to nickcersey.locals.com, I'm there a lot, nickcersey.locals.com. You can also see the movie there on Locals, and you can follow me on Twitter, yes, Nick Searcy. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm around, you know, people, I hear from people all the time who have a project here and there and, uh, you know, that they think would be interesting for uh, an alternative outlet to Hollywood to make. I'm I'm in the process of trying to get a couple of other films made right now that uh, probably Hollywood would not traditionally get behind. So uh, I, I encourage everyone to, you know, find me, reach out to me. We'll uh, we'll fight this together. That's one of the things I think I appreciate most about you, uh, just how genuine and uh, real you are in spite of, all of the challenges that are there in Hollywood. So thank you for standing up for me. In, in spite of what a big star I am. I really act well, like. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I'm surprised you're not wearing your cape today. It must be at the dry cleaners. <laughs> right. <clears throat> well, again, it's been our pleasure to uh, interview Nick Cersei. I hope you'll come back. Thanks, Marie. Anytime. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. And there you have it, our interview with international film and television star and Peabody Award-winning actor Nick Searcy. Well, this is the part of our show where we bring in DK to get his impressions. Come on in, DK. Hola. Well, you know, a few weeks ago we had uh, one of my favorite authors, Richard Paul Evans, here, and I kind of fangirled a little bit. I know that Nick Searcy is one of your favorites. I mean, he's one of my favorites too, but <laughs> I mean, you've seen everything that he's ever done and you're, you're, you're a fanboy. So how was that for you? That was great. I mean, to, to me, he's like one of the, one of the Beatles, you know, they justified was such a great show. I've seen every episode, I don't know, at least five times. I, I was able to quote a lot of the great things that his character used to say in the show. Um, and it's just amazing to finally meet him and have him turn out to be such a down-to-earth, approachable person who actually shares most of the same uh, political views that I do, which which never happens. You know, <laughs> you're That's used to uh, used to 
uh, meeting celebrities who want to uh, slap you in the mouth for believing, you know, in conservatism, but have have a celebrity that you admire actually support your views. That's that's doubly amazing. So that was a great interview for me. I got to fanboy for a while. <laughs> the thing I love the most is what I said at the end, that he's unashamed of his views. He's like in your face. It's like, I don't care what you think. Um, I find his Twitter feed to be pretty funny. Uh, so I have to admit that that I, I enjoy when he goes toe to toe with with the liberals and the fact that he is there and so successful despite um, their efforts uh, gives me a lot of hope. I've even cautioned him on uh, Facebook because I follow him on Facebook and he he posted something against the Disney uh, company, which I thought was completely accurate. But I, I responded that, you know, as a working actor who might want a job from Disney one day, it might not be wise to to go after a, a potential future employer. But he just brushed it off. It, it's like, I'm Nick Searcy. I do what I want. <laughs> I'm not going to be intimidated. I'll get plenty of other acting roles out. And... I want to say what I want to say. So I'm impressed by that. It's not something I would have done. I actually think there are a lot of people in Hollywood who agree with Nick and people like us, yeah. but, but they have to work, you know, they didn't, they didn't go through whatever it takes to be a successful actor just to lose it all over a, a tweet supporting punch uh, Trump. So I can't blame them. They, you got to play the rules in the game. You know, and the and the beauty of what uh, Nick does is that he has created his own films now too. Um, to be able to have the clout to be able to do that, I think is is also impressive. I mean, we named a few people: Kevin Sorbo, um, Gary Sinise is another person who has been pretty uh, open about his views. Dean Cain, um, but Kevin Sorbo, I know, has made a, a few films on his own. Um, so we're seeing people who are using their clout to be able to make the films that most in America want to see. To your point earlier about the Disney film, um, you and I have talked about the most recent Disney film. It's a quote unquote gay teen something, something. That's about as much as I've paid attention to it. Um, that has bombed at the box office because parents are not taking their kids to see this stuff. Um, so I think that, that America wants movies that, uh, showcase the values that they believe in, love of God, love of country, uh, love of freedom, protecting your land and what is yours. Um, you know, these are all things that our country was founded upon. No, it's, it's really remarkable how these movies bomb because you hear constantly that from certain groups are demanding to be represented in the film, which on a certain level, it makes sense. You know, there's like this, there was a movie a few months ago called Bros, which was a romantic comedy, except that both people in the romance were men. So it was a gay romantic comedy. And it was supposedly a good movie, which, I mean, it got good reviews. I haven't seen it, but it, it's not only was supposed to be a good movie, it was supposed to appeal to a certain segment of, of our society that did not go see it. They demanded and it, it but represents they didn't go a very small percentage of Americans, by the way. Yeah, I don't know what percentage. I'm, it might be like three to five percent of people are gay, but that should be enough to make a successful movie. But no one wanted to see it. Um, same with that uh, 
Disney movie, Stranger Things. It was um, it's billed as finally, finally, we have a Disney movie with the lead character being gay. I can, I can go see it and be represented. It got all this praise on Twitter, all the movie media, the access media patted Disney on the back for making a, a movie with a gay lead. And, and again, no one went to see it. And you see that repeatedly. You see that in um, in comic books, for example. There was a introduction of a black Batman. You know, I'm a huge Batman fan. I'm black. They introduce, you see, I have my, bat, can't really see it, but I have my Batman cap on. They introduce a black Batman and I didn't go see it. I didn't. I didn't go uh, read it. And judging by the sales, all the people who praise the Black Batman and um, were actually demanding more representation in the comics, they, they did not go see it. It's happening more and more. Well, um, to Nick Cersei's point, I think too. Just you know, um, the people who vote. You know, there's a loud group of people who talk about how the <clears throat> laws in this country are unfair and how they don't feel that uh, arrests or sentencing or whatever it is is fair. And yet these are the people that gen tend not to vote in general. Exactly. And it makes you wonder how far Hollywood can go with representation. I think there's a real backlash against it because it's not really appealing to anyone. It's not even appealing to the people it's supposed to appeal to. It's turning off other people who don't mind seeing gay characters or black characters. But when it's pushed in your face and the way Hollywood do it and the way they do it is they do it in a patronizing way. It's an insulting uh, way to treat people who are loyal to an IP for such a long time. It's like, um, what's that other movie? It's like a, a Velma movie from Scooby-Doo. Yes. Um, you know, people grew up on Scooby-Doo. People as old as you are, remember, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> people remember Scooby-Doo from their childhood. And, and just to have someone arrogantly say, you know, we decided that Velma has to be a lesbian now. I mean, she had crushes on half the guys on the show, and all of a sudden, yeah. She's like, <laughs> and if you don't, if you don't like it, that's not the character you grew up with that you want to see represented in other medium. Then you're the bad guy. It's um, I, there's a little bit of that going with the new Netflix series called Wednesday. I don't know if you heard of it. Yeah, it's, Wednesday Adams. They play Wednesday Adams and. Also okay. another great show from our era. <laughs> you are 11 months younger than I am. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I must have, I must have caught a few reruns or something. <laughs> but anyway. I think you got your dance moves from Lurch, though. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that scene where Wednesday was dancing with Lurch? Yeah. yeah. That was actually pretty good. I wouldn't mind being that good of a dancer, you know. I think they're both much better than I am. Anyway. And that's a backlash against Wednesday because Wednesday is white and I haven't seen the show, but apparently most of the characters are white and they're complaining about that. So it's, it's, it's very strange. 
Well, this is another episode of African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement. We hope you will go to brightnews.com where you can see uh, all of our podcasts there on the YouTube channel or to anchor.fm forward slash A-A-C-O-N-S, and that will lead you to a place where you can find all of our episodes in podcast form. So I hope that you will subscribe there for free, or you can go to ACONS, A-A-C-O-N-S dot substack dot com, and that is the new home of our blog, and we also post our podcast there. So again, this is Marie for African American Conservatives saying goodbye and... This is DK saying goodbye. We'll see you next time on African American Conservatives, the soul of the conservative movement.